Santa Claus, is he a mere myth that interferes with the true meaning of Christmas? Or is there more to him than we've been led to believe? Well, we're going to find out in just a moment. Well, we're breaking all the rules again here at Raven's Heart. Yes, we talk about heavy metal, hard rock. We talk about Jesus and the gospel. And yes, it's Christmas, and we're going to talk about Santa Claus. And with me is author Jennifer S. Goins, and she's published a book entitled Who Is That Man in the Red Suit? Jennifer, welcome to Raven's Heart. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's exciting to have you. And you know, we went all Christmas here. I've got, I feel like I'm in a snow globe with this uh, design that I've got around us on the overlay. <laughs> and hey, if you are watching us on YouTube, go ahead and subscribe and hit that bell because right now we're at 900 subscribers and we'd like to hit a thousand before January 1st. And that's a big deal. And that'll help authors like Jennifer and the artists that we interview and also will help yours truly me, Glenn, over here at Lithos Christ. So go ahead and subscribe and ring that bell. Jennifer, you have written a book entitled, Who is That Man in the Red Suit? And it's about Santa Claus. Now, this is one of several books that you've written. What are some other titles that you've published? Well, currently only have one other book that's actually published, and it's about St. Patrick. It's another children's book, and it's called The The Incredible St. Patrick, From Slave to Saint, A Life of Compassion and Courage. Yeah, I find this very interesting because both of the books that you have published are about saints, and there's a lot of confusion about what a saint is. So can you share with us what is the biblical definition of a saint, and what does it take to become one? You see the word saint used several times in scripture. It's in Psalms, Acts, Romans, Philippians, Hebrews, etc. But it is the verses in Acts, Romans, and Philippians to me that help us understand um, what is best meant by the biblical idea of saint. In Romans 1-7, the saints are described as ones who are called by Jesus Christ. And in Philippians 1.1, the saints are called saints in Christ. And in, in Acts, we read about Ananias, who God asked to lay hands on and pray for Saul when Saul lost his sight. Um, he, he called those who Saul was persecuting saints. So we know that Saul was persecuting believers, So by default, what Ananias is saying is that Saul is persecuting saints who are believers. So from these verses, you can see that biblically a saint is one who's called by God in Christ or a follower of Christ. And as believers, we are all called, all set apart, all saints. Um, However, there is, I just want to make a distinction that there's a certain group of people who have been canonized 
as saints um, or specifically honored and recognized with the title of saint, like capital S saint by the church, most commonly the Catholic church. And it's usually reserved for someone who's been martyred or died for their faith or someone whose life was marked with exemplary service and holiness. You know, you didn't see the notes in the scriptures that I were, was preparing for this, and it just goes to show how God just orchestrates these. On my notes in the deep dive that I did yesterday in preparing, God took me right to Romans chapter 1 at verse 7, where Paul yes. wrote to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. We've been called to be saints. If you've been born That's again, right. you've been called to be a saint. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is writing to the entire church that's been washed in the blood, not just a select few of people, uh, few people. And really, too, in the book of Hebrews, I took a look at this yesterday, Hebrews 10.10, 10, by which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. We are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. And that word sanctified is the same word in Greek for saint. Yeah, holiness yep. set apart. Yes, holiness and set apart. So why is it important for a believer to pay attention to people like St. Patrick or St. Nicholas, who we refer to as as Santa Claus? Why is it important? What purpose would they serve in our lives? Oh, well, first of all, they're a great inspiration. Personally, when I learned about the generous, brave, and inspiring things they did, my faith grew tremendously. These men confronted the pagan beliefs of their day during very dangerous times in history. Mm-hmm. They, they also suffered and um, or were persecuted, yet these experiences only caused them to grow closer to God and deepen their faith. We could all learn a lot from how the Lord moved in the lives of these men, um, and they're, they're truly an inspiration because of that. But secondly, they are a part of early church history. So I think it's important to know about that just for the historical value. Um, they also show how the power of the Holy Spirit and miracles were still prevalent hundreds of years after Jesus' death and hundreds of years into church history, which is not something that I knew or realized because I was under the impression that all of the um, miracles and Holy Spirit power ceased with the death of the apostles. And we find that this is simply not the case when you examine church history. Yeah, you're absolutely right. This this might sound a little bit morose and morbid, but one of my favorite books that I've read is Fox's Book of Martyrs, where it talks about the saints that were <laughs> martyred for their faith. And it talks about the miracles that occurred at the time that they were martyred and how people, they'd watch, you know, one of these men of God or women of God burning at the stake and people were getting saved left and right as they were watching, as hearing them sing songs, you know, men like... Uh, you know, John Wycliffe and, and, and men like that. I mean, just absolute men and women who gave their lives for the purpose of advancing the gospel and glorifying Jesus. Well, let's start talking about your book, Who Is That Man in the Red Suit? Why did you feel it important to write this book about St. Nicholas, a.k.a. Santa Claus? Um, the stories surrounding people like St. Patrick and St. Nicholas have been greatly lost or diluted in culture, which is a shame. The average person really doesn't know the true history of their lives, and that included me until recently. 
most of us only know about these men because of how they have been commercialized over the years. And as a lover of truth and history, when my husband and I were starting our family and Christmas came around, I began to ask myself, why do we have Santa? Why is he dressed the way he is? Why was his name changed? And how do I explain this truth to our children? Because it's extremely important to me to teach them actual history and truth. This is a passion. And it's, um, so that is what inspired this journey. You know, we take everything and we idolize it and we dilute it. That that's just seems to be our human nature. We kind of mold it and shape it into what we like to believe about it and what we want to think about it and then commercialize it to make a ton of money off of it. And that's what's unfortunately done during the Christmas season. So what are some truths about this man named St. Nicholas that we call Santa Claus? All right. Well, I'm going to try to give you like a... 30,000 square foot view of this. Um, there's so much. Okay. But um, he, first off, he's a real person. Recorded history reveals that there was indeed a man of high reputation who lived in the third to fourth century AD in ancient Asia Minor. That's modern day Turkey. It's okay. on the northeast coast of the Mediterranean Sea. So we have his um, time and location. His name was Nicholas, this man of reputation. He became a bishop and later a saint. The most robust details of his life have been passed down through the Greek Orthodox Church, which makes sense because that's basically where he lived in Asia Minor. Um, the history identifies his parents. Their names were Theophanes and Nona. And the year of his birth, 280 AD. And, you know, we, we learn all kinds of very interesting things. So I'm just going to try to hit just a few. Yeah, um, please do. This we, is fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> we learned that he was named after his uncle, Nicholas, who was also a bishop in the church. Okay. So we see this family history of church service right there in the beginning. And we know that Nicholas followed in his uncle's footsteps, eventually becoming a bishop himself. He is known for being very generous, humble, and courageous. Uh, we know that he served the people of his region for many years and was able to make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land during his lifetime. He was imprisoned for several years during the Christian persecution started under Emperor Diocletian. Oh. He suffered... Yes, he suffered great starvation and mistreatment. It was several years that he wasn't released until Constantine became the emperor and started letting out these persecuted Christian prisoners. So Nicholas, um, what he did during that time was encourage the people. He preached the gospel. He's considered a confessor because he's confessing the gospel during a time of persecution. Wow. Yeah, wow. and he he won many of the Hellenic pagan believers to the Lord. Um, we also know that he was one of the church leaders attending the well-known Council of Nicaea. So, really? Yes, he was I mean, there. That's what I that's what I uncovered oh, in my wow. research. So, <laughs> so, so um, you know, we as as believers, we are many of us, not all, are aware of the Council of Nicaea. Emperor mm -hmm. Constantine called this council to revolve divisions in the church that had arisen. And so um, according to historical record, Nicholas was one of the attendees. His life was also marked by um, his generosity, his dedication, his wisdom, and even 
the M word miracles. <laughs> yes. 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 So, I, I like yeah. that you bring that up. Yeah. Um, Cause it was about a year ago. I started for some reason, I started researching Santa Claus or St. Nicholas on the internet. And of course you find all sorts of stuff about the commercialization and everything. But I found this document about how he actually raised a young boy from the dead. I found an article and I was like, there's more to this than what I think I know. And when I saw you release this book and I read the book, I've, yes, I, people, I read the books that we talk about. When I read the book, I was like, this is something we need to talk about because when you take a look at who he really was, no wonder the devil has wanted to distort who this man is. Because when you take a look at the truth of it, it leads you back to the gospel and it leads you back the to power Jesus. of the Holy Spirit. I mean, so so it's really neat too. I just want to add this little bit um, about just the the truths about him. After his death, he was not canonized by the formal process that we think of today, where the Pope might name somebody as a as a saint. At the time, that was not required. It was done regionally. Um, instead, like the apostles, Saint Peter, Saint Paul, Saint Thomas, Nicholas was highly respected as an exemplar of the faith. And he earned the formal title of saint merely from the widespread consent of the people. And as early oh, as wow. the sixth century, yes. So even just a few hundred years after his death, you see him being honored. And as early as the sixth century, Emperor Justinian had a church built in his honor in Constantinople. So, I mean, Nicholas, and I'll say St. Patrick too, although we're not talking about him. These are fascinating, fascinating men who truly moved in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And I'd like to encourage our listeners and our viewers to go back and study church history because church history yeah. itself, as we know it, or we think we know it, is not what it is. Uh, no. There was a book, and I can't remember. I was listening to it on Audible, and I'd listen to it every day on my way home, and I never made it all the way through. But the church history, the real church history, it's fascinating. It's messy. It's just absolutely amazing. And there's so much that occurred, you know, after the apostles to the time that we are at now that we just really have no idea about. When you go back to it, it's like, Oh, and I think, I think God's maybe leading us back to those roots, going back to the, the ancient paths, the old ways. Yep. And that's why I think that this is so important. And, you know, why did you feel it's so important to write this book about St. Nicholas? Well, I mean, I, get, I just wanted to get the truth out. I mean, I, I wanted this to be a good um, steward of the truth. And I'm a lover of history and as I said, teaching my kids, I wanted them to be able to understand what, why we believe what we believe, but also these traditions, what we're doing. So that's why it was so important. Yeah. Yeah. Getting back to the basics, getting back to the truth of the matter. Uh, you're, you're dispelling all the fake news about Santa Claus. That's what we're doing today is we're, we're pushing the fake news about Santa aside and taking a look at the true story. Now, the book is very succinct. And fortunately for me, it has a lot of pictures in it, which is great. It makes the read a lot easier. But you know, with the it knowledge that you pour, <laughs> that's okay. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm a kid at art. But even though it's a succinct book, 
it packs a punch, which indicates to me that you had to do a good deal of research for this book. Can you tell us a little bit about the research process for, you know, who is that man in the red suit? Well, years before I actually even ever thought to write this book, because two years ago, I I never imagined that I would be a, a children's book author. So even before years ago, I had stumbled on the work of Christian historian William J. Federer. And I started receiving his American Minute emails and watching his American Minute TV bits, which gave amazing details about church history, world history, and American history. So it's called American Minute, but but his work covers you know the whole world and, and a lot of church history. And his work really helps you understand what has happened in the world and why things are the way that they are in culture, government, et cetera, and how history repeats itself and how there are patterns. It's extremely detailed and well-researched, very well-researched. Most of what he writes is not prose, like a story being told about the history, but it's actual quotations from the original works that tell the history it and, and it's actual quotes from the people themselves, from their speeches and things like that, um, is compiled in a way to take you down the yellow brick road to show you how things unraveled and changed over time. It's quite remarkable and so um, and, and informative in a way that I had never found before. I'd never really read history this way. So when I was... Um, uh, Looking uh, over his material, I actually came across his book, There Really is a Santa Claus. And I, I read that book. And, and, and I, that is what inspired the idea okay. of getting the story to my kids. So, okay, this book, let me show it to you. Okay. There we go. Yep, there it is it? right there. Yeah. I can, right. well, that's a, wow, that is I not have- a light read. No. No. Yeah, that is <laughs> not Twas the Night Before Christmas. <laughs> It's so rich. It's so rich. Now, a good portion of it is speeches and things from other like presidents over the years and things like that. But there's a big chunk of it in the beginning that's about St. Nicholas and our Christmas traditions. And I set out to read all of that and had read it each year at Christmas time. So over several years, you know, I would just refresh my um, understanding and, and read it. And when we had our girls, I was like, okay, I'll read it and then I'll tell them. And I was like, I can't read like 40 pages of this amount of print and then tell it to my two-year-old. So um, that was when I realized I've got a challenge to be able to, how do I articulate this very rich, beautiful story um, to them? And so that's when I wrote the book. I wrote the book and I thought they're going to want pictures. I found all the illustrations and I put it together and it was in a digital form at the time. And after I was finished, I just showed it to my husband and and deep inside, I felt the Holy Spirit saying, you need to share this with the fetters. And so I, um, we, we sent him an email with, with the the content in there and, um, we did hear back and, and, um, Bill's wife in particular had said that there were people over the years that were looking for children's versions of Bill's work and they encouraged me to, to, to publish. So I, I looked into it and that's kind of how we, we got here. There is power in the simplicity of this book. It's very powerful. It causes you to think. And that's why I wanted to ask you about the research because it's not just 
things that you probably heard from somewhere or you know cultural tales or as i said you know the the twas the night before christmas where you get your get your information from it's very well done and it's very powerful now based upon your research and what you've said saint nicholas was a man of god totally devoted to god again just some key points on what were some of the fruits that were evidenced in his life that this is true well um, you, you could look to his, his actions, his behavior. He, his uncle was a bishop, and, and, and so Nicholas spent a lot of time in church early on, and this led him to be trained in, a, in the ministry at a local monastery. Um, and so he did become ordained. And okay. so that's a commitment. You know, I mean, that, that's an evidence of his devotion to the Lord. He was known also for unceasing prayer and fasting. Another um, action related example of, of his devotion to the Lord. When his wealthy parents died, he gave away his inheritance to the poor and the needy. And he's known for that. So, I mean, that's huge because yeah, how many people would give away their inheritance? Not many. No, <laughs> I mean, that's generous. that is generous. That's a heart for people. He was yeah. regularly stepping up to help others and standing strong for his beliefs. He was in prison. Remember I was talking about because yes. he would not budge um, under Emperor Diocletian's um, persecution. He continued to preach. And so that's devotion. And, and clearly you can see his dedication, not only to Jesus, but to the people, I think he had a heart for ministry. He had a heart for serving people. He had a heart to um, reach reach the lost. Yeah, and that's something you really don't see a lot of today. Not just not you know giving away your inheritance. That's not something people would normally do. But no. standing firm against a government power in their beliefs about the gospel and who Jesus is, and then even being as bold to share and confess the gospel, as you've said, this is really a life to take a look at and to use as a role model, I would say. And, and that's, I would say that's one of the reasons why it's important to, you know, look at men like St. Nick and, and St. Patrick, because they are role models, giving us inspiration for what we should be as believers in Christ. And it makes perfect sense to me that he loved Jesus so much that he loved people. That's just kind yeah. of the way that it works. That That's the heart yeah. of Jesus. Jennifer, we have to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. Hey, I'm Jennifer Benson with the band Ignescent, and we're excited to be at the Hanahan Amphitheater on May 13th, 2023 for Get Revelation Rock Fest. See you there.
That's right. If you're looking for that ultimate stocking stuffer, you can get your tickets right now for Get Revelation Rock Fest at lithoscry.com. That's L-I-T-H-O-S-C-R-Y.com. Coming right here to Charleston, South Carolina. And I just realized that Today is the day of Jennifer's. That was Jennifer Benson, and we have Jennifer <laughs> Goins with us. And we're talking about her book entitled, Who is That Man in the Red Suit? And we're talking about the life of St. Nick, a.k.a. Santa Claus. Jennifer, so based upon your research, and I think you kind of alluded to this earlier, is it possible that St. Nick was a man who flowed in the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Without a doubt. I mean, there are stories of him calming storms through prayer, healing people, uh, raising the dead, miraculous provisions of food that came about after his prayers. Who does that sound like? Sounds like Jesus. Sounds exactly <laughs> like Jesus. I mean, the light, Jesus' life, his miracles. I mean, these are things that you can't do by sheer willpower. They no. take supernatural power and he's doing things that others could not such great things that the word spread widely, just like with Jesus, people were amazed at the miracles. And so they talked about it. I mean, the word spread all over Asia minor into Europe, Western wow. Europe. I mean, all over the empire, it was the time, you know, of the Roman empire. So there would have been the, the passageway, um, and pathways for, for the message to spread. And so here we are with another man walking in power and there's no other explanation yes. when he gives, when he gives his life to Jesus and he's winning souls to Jesus, given the credit it's Holy spirit. Yes. Yes. And Jesus did say in scripture that his followers, his believers would do greater things than, than he did. And it's not in our power that we do no. it. And it's not in St. Nick's power. It is being available to be a vessel for God vessel. to yeah. do those things. So how did we get from this man who was a vessel of God that the power of the Holy Spirit was working through to all of these crazy fantasy magic sorcery stories of sliding down chimneys and flying reindeer? How did we get there and why did we get there? Well, first, I want to talk just in general about why people think um, that miracles are fantasy. Um, so I believe that that is because of the error of history that we live in. In our okay. day, culture is strongly influenced by secular humanism, materialism, naturalism, basically the belief that natural laws and forces are the only forces that operate in the universe, that what we see is all there is. The supernatural is completely excluded. And this is the accepted thinking of the Western world. These ideas made their way into the church as well. I uh, mean, where you find you find miracles and Holy Spirit power has been left out. It's been pushed out of mainstream churches. So when you consider um, the mindset, of course, these stories are fantastical because they can't be explained in nature, which is what naturalism requires. So when it comes to the Enlightenment, the Age of Reason, the scientific era, belief in miracles and the supernatural has been relegated to a mystical and antiquity, excuse me, antiquated belief from a time when man didn't understand the natural world like we do. So the unfortunate thing about those, the um, scientific uh, reasoning and enlightenment type uh, belief systems like naturalism, the issue with 
those is that they are definitely, there are things in our world that have not been and cannot be explained just by the natural laws and forces. And so these views actually leave a lot of unanswered questions that can only be answered when you consider the supernatural. Mm. So what you're saying is that by not believing in the miraculous in the context of scripture, especially today, we've allowed the world to enter into the church. Oh, absolutely. Yes. That we don't have a supernatural worldview. The general no. Western believer does not. Now, the, the believers in Jesus' day, the ancient Hebrews, they have a supernatural worldview. They understood that God interacted into um, our world and, and, and they had that worldview. It's been lost. And so um, to, to, we don't even read our, our Bibles with that understanding. No. I actually no. had, a, had to read... Um, a book by uh, Michael Heiser called Unseen Realm to, to get my own supernatural worldview back when I'm studying scripture so that I can, can, can see it the same way that the early church would have seen it and the way that the Hebrews would have seen it in Jesus' yes. day. Yes. You know, even if you read the first couple chapters of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, you see that supernatural worldview in there, in that book, especially when the author's talking about the angels and the angels interacting with human beings and all of that yeah. is real. And what I find very interesting is that here in the West, we, you know, we have that secular mindset, the secular human, humanistic mindset, but you send a missionary to like Africa and they start preaching the gospel. All right. And yeah. that, that preacher might not even believe in the supernatural. All of a sudden you see demons flying out of people mm -hmm. and people getting healed. Mm -hmm. It's because they have not been tainted uh, by the world that we live in Western culture. You cannot read the Bible with a Western mindset. It's absolutely impossible to do that and to see the fullness of well, God. Well, and get the, the fullness. Yes. I mean, you can yeah. read it and you're just going to have some blinders on about what, who God really is fully. You don't, I don't think you get the impact of his power and his love and his heart and what Jesus went through and, and Jesus's mm -hmm. impact without understanding the supernatural. No, you, you just can't do it. What is the best way that a family or parents who are believers can balance Santa Claus during Christmas because they see him plastered all over the place and the true meaning of the season, which is Jesus, who was you know, born on Christmas morning? How can you balance that? How can that be balanced? Well, um, I'm not sure if this is the best way or not, but what we've done is from the beginning explain to our girls the tradition of Santa um, and that he is he is based on a real man who loved Jesus and is now in heaven with him. We don't encourage the idea of Santa nor discourage it, but when mm. it comes up, we talk about who St. Nicholas was oh, okay. and, and where Santa came from. I mean, he's so prominent in culture that we don't really have to say anything. Um, the kids just experience it around. So they, they are, they know the idea of Santa just like I did when I was a kid, but we don't necessarily 
um, you know, engage in a whole lot of Santa stuff. We, we, we tried to focus on what St. Nicholas did, why, um, you know, we honor him and, and how he was a real person who also loved another real person, Jesus. And without um, Jesus, we wouldn't even have a Santa, you know, because there would not have been a St. Nicholas who actually um, did all these miracles that, that then the story turned. I mean, you know, earlier you were talking about how did it become this, this down the chimney thing. And yeah. I didn't really get it, get to that part. So, I mean, with our girls, for example, we, we tell them about some of the neat things that, that St. Nicholas did. And, and certainly after he died, you get some of the, the legend being born. Okay. So um, I mentioned how famous he had become and the stories being widespread. He became so popular that over 1200 churches have been named in his honor. Oh, and wow. He was, yeah, that's remarkable. Amount. That is, I had yes. no idea it was that many until I was doing the research, of course. And then um, the, the, he was named the patron saint of Russia by Vladimir the Great in 988 AD. That's, that's a huge honor. I mean, like he became the patron saint. Um, later on the anniversary of his death, which was December 6th, that's a feast was um, celebrated. It's called St. Nicholas Feast Day um, in yes. honor of him. Okay. And so you, you start to see like the December 25th where we celebrate Jesus's birth. And then you've got December 6th, St. Nicholas Feast Day, how, how there's some close proximity there. Yeah. And, um, so, so after, after his death, you see the stories spreading, they become mixed with different themes in the Bible. For example, in Germany, St. Nicholas was said to return on the eve of his feast day. So we're talking about December 6th is his feast day. So he would uh, return on that eve, December 5th, and visit homes. So, I mean, already you've got, you've got a tradition that's kind of like what we're talking about. Okay. And in Belgium in Belgium and Holland, he was said to return on a horse carrying a book of deeds. Oh. That sounds a lot like, does that not hearken to the return of Christ? It does, Described yes. in the Bible, he's on a it horse and carrying a book of deeds, okay? So we have a book of life and, and you know, Christ on his horse. So there's there's a mixing of of biblical themes with the story of St. Nicholas. And, and then you start to see over time, different regions of the world putting their own cultural spin on St. Nicholas stories. For example, Russia and Sweden um, had St. Nicholas not riding on that horse, but on the more prevalent reindeer. So that's where the reindeer come from. Okay. And then the different countries had different names for St. Nicholas. You had Pierre Noel in France and Sinterklaas in the Netherlands. What does Sinterklaas sound a little bit like? Santa Claus. Yes. <laughs> Sounds like Santa Claus. Yeah. Yeah. With each, with each, <laughs> and that's, that's eventually it did become Santa Claus. Each story that, that has Santa, um, coming back, excuse me, St. Nicholas coming back and he's rewarding the good children and punishing the naughty children. So you you see it again, mixing in with biblical themes, also cultural ideas, but then pagan ideas as well, because you start to see stories about these gnome like elves being added in. And that's a more pagan feature. So like we've that got one right there. Yes, <laughs> exactly like that one. <laughs> so, there, so, so just over time, people are adding to it. So the many of these traditions and stories made their way over to America. 
And particularly with the Dutch arrival, you have the celebration of St. Saint Nicholas Feast Day and, and um, that they, they are a huge reason why, why we um, have some of the traditions that we do. And then getting more into the more modern era, um, there were American writers and illustrators and, and, and um, they, they wrote stories, poems, songs, they drew depictions of him and all of those different stories and songs and depictions had their own spin. You know, they okay. all added their own uh, creative things. And so eventually what you have is St. Nicholas, who would have worn church robes. If you think about like a Byzantine type of church robe yes. um, of the early bishops, I mean, he would that's what St. Nicholas would have worn, which when you go to the churches in Europe, that's how you see the statues. That's what he looks like. But those were changed out in these depictions and stories for the Dutch trunk hose outfit that we see today. Okay. Um, then, then he develops the description of the rosy cheeks and being plump. And then all of a sudden the North Pole is added. So everyone's <laughs> adding all of their different you know creative ideas and and i would have to say two of the biggest influences to me would have to be reverend clement moore who wrote the poem a visit from saint nicholas that's the night before twas the night before christmas poem that we all know that was a huge influence on 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 this story of santa and then also Haddon sunbloom who drew advertisements for coca-cola when you think about the the iconic Santa, what he looks like, it's the Coca-Cola Santa Claus, is it oh. not? <laughs> yeah, it is. It really so, is. Yeah. I mean, you see how these illustrators changed, you know, the way they look at, at Santa. And so um, that's how we've been influenced. The name, the Dutch name for St. Nicholas, as I mentioned earlier, is Sinterklaas became Santa Claus. So, I mean, that's how his name changed. It was just um, changing from the different language into something that Americans, I guess, would say. So that's how we, that's how we, we, we show our girls who he is, what he's done, and then take them down the little road and, and they don't return. They're four and six. So they don't necessarily retain all of that, but we will continue to teach it year in yeah. and year out so that they can understand that this is a real man. This is what he looked, would have looked like with his church robes, honoring Jesus, doing the miracles. And then people have kind of done their stories. And this is where Santa Claus came from. It just goes to show how culture shapes our thinking instead oh, of absolutely. looking at truth. I mean, the, this image that we have of Santa Claus and, Buddy the Elf uh, from <laughs> from Elf in our minds. It's all shaped by the culture around us. Instead of going right to you know doing the research and finding out what the truth is. And speaking of that, in your book at the end, you have a short index of several other items that are associated with Christmas that actually have very deep biblical meanings. Now, without giving away the entire farm, can you share with us maybe one or two of those items and what they mean <laughs> biblically? Sure. Um, I'll take a big one, the evergreen tree. It's tied to stories about St. Boniface, a missionary to tribal Germans in the 400s AD, and Martin Luther, father of the Protestant Reformation. Okay. Both, Yes, both, both of wow. them. Boniface, he related the evergreen leaves to eternal life, and both Luther and Boniface related the lights to heaven and Jesus being the light of the world. So that's kind of... Um, 
where some of that those ideas came from. And then you have the poinsettia. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows about the, the 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 Christmas flower, basically the poinsettia. It's named after the U.S. ambassador to Mexico, Dr. Joel Robert Poinsett, who brought it back to South Carolina. Oh, in really? 1829. Yes, he brought it okay. back to South Carolina in 1829. Now, it was known as the flower of the holy night. That's what, um, you know, Dr. Poinsett brought it back. It wasn't called the Poinsettia until after he brought it back. It was known as the flower of the holy night. And that is because supposedly it sprung, it sprang up as a poor boy was kneeling to worship Jesus. So almost like oh, a miracle wow. story. Yeah. And that's where they, they, they came up with the, the um, named it the flower of the holy night. When, when Dr. Poinsett brings it back to South Carolina and he plants it, over time, the flower's popularity grew nationwide in the U.S. and, and they named it the Poinsettia. Okay. I kind of think I knew about Martin Luther with the Christmas tree, uh, but that just reminded me, that's just something that was faintly in the back of my head. And that's another book when I was in seminary was the um, history of Martin Luther that just absolutely fascinated me. He was very interesting. Yeah, very interesting man. And man, he could rock the lute like there was nobody else with (laughs) with the hymns that that he wrote. And uh, that is just really fascinating. So there's so many things that have been commercialized, paganized, uh, you know, and that's really what I'm hearing through this is Santa Claus or St. Nick. Uh, it's so interesting. He helped so many pagans come to the truth. And then, you know, the, that spiritual wickedness and that spiritual darkness takes him and paganizes him. And that's what we're doing here. You know, and even with what we have here with Raven's heart, if you take a look in scripture, what the Raven really was, and what it represents in the prophetic realm, not what witchcraft says it is. And we're reclaiming those things and bringing it back to the truth to give glory to Jesus. How can people get a copy of who is that man in the red suit? Well, it's available um, as an iBook or a digital, and you can also get it in print. So this is the um, cover here. And it's sold on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, basically anywhere that you can buy books. So they can they can search for it and find it there. Excellent. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us and to our viewers and listeners. I'm going to take a little break and I will be back in January. And exactly what we're going to do in January, I have no idea. So it's going to be a surprise, a surprise for all of us. Jennifer, have a Merry Christmas. And to everybody that's out there, that's what, thank you. Everybody that's watching or listening, Merry Christmas and peace out and rock on till January. Have a good one. Lithoscry.com.